listening to Jonathan Beckett's podcast. Each week I talk to bloggers and writers all over the world about their journey, how they got started, where they write, how they write, and where you can find them. The podcast lives at anchor.fm slash John Beckett, and you can also find it at Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Facebook. Just search for Jonathan Beckett's podcast. This episode probably breaks the record for the longest recording we've done on the podcast so far. I talked to an old friend from Tumblr and Instagram that I've been following for years, and the conversation just seemed to get away from us, and before we knew it, we'd blown through an hour and more. It's a really interesting experience, I guess, listening to her story, where she's come from, where she's going, and her thoughts about surviving the journey she's been on. Enjoy. Tonight we're joined by Jade. I don't actually know where you're from. I actually live in um, Concordia, Kansas. <laughs> in Kansas, okay. So did you see the story, I think it was two weeks ago, when um, Trump <laughs> mentioned Kansas City? Um, yes, and the funny thing about that is is that Kansas City is actually split half and half. Half of it's in Kansas and half of it's in Missouri. So he's half right. You can't be <laughs> mad about it. <laughs> the city chiefs are actually native Missouri, so we do claim them, though. I mean, really. People will listen to this that don't live in America. What's life like in Kansas? Boring. Quiet. <laughs> There's not a lot to do. We all have the idea in our head, I guess, of the Wizard of Oz, and that's kind of all we really know about the Midwest. <laughs> right, and that's not even very Kansas. Um, it's... Um, well, okay, it is Kansas. I'll take that back because Dorothy technically was um, supposedly born in liberal Kansas, and that's technically where the whole Wizard of Oz, the black and white part of it, started. Um, and the tornado came through and picked her up and uh, took her to the land of Oz. So, right. and it's actually that's what the movie's about is the land of Oz. It's not about Kansas. So, did you actually grow up in Kansas then? Oh no, no, no! My dad was Air Force, um, so I was born in Wyoming. And then I moved to Idaho for a while. And then when my dad went over to Korea, I lived in Kansas for like a year. I was in third grade. And then he came back and we got stationed in Albuquerque, New Mexico for eight eight years. (laughs) They left us there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's that funny. um, If you ever watch cartoons at all way back when in the Bugs Bunny cartoons, there was always that funny skit where he goes, I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. That was us. We took a wrong turn and we got stuck there because in in Air Force you don't you don't get stuck any place you get moved around a lot. Well, yeah. we were there eight years. I was going to yeah. say that so. I I don't know if I've got the time kind of or timing right, but he would have been there right in the middle of the Cold War, wouldn't he? And or the aftermath of it. Um. Well, let me think about what year that would have been because I got now well, it's early eighties, isn't it? When the Russians and Americans show- really didn't get on. Yes, it would have been in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, I just said I was in third grade. I was I was born in seventy nine, so yeah, that would have been you know middle eighties, somewhere yeah. in there towards the eighties. He was in Korea. He was actually in Germany for like six months before that, but I don't remember exactly when that was. Yeah. Um, we we stayed on the base. I think that was when we were in Idaho. Anyways, when he went to Korea, we moved to Kansas because that's where his parents, my my grandma and grandpa, lived in Kansas. And so it was closer for my mom to have support and everything with the girls. Cause we, okay. I have two sisters, an older one and a younger one. So, um, 
Are you here? I guess we all hear stories about um, forces families moving around all the time. Was that difficult growing up, kind of not being in one place? Kind of, yes, because, <laughs> all right, well, um, to explain that, when you think about it, I had, I'm, well, kindergarten, first grade, and second grade, you know, in one spot. And then I got picked up and moved to another, like, very remote place for only a year. Didn't really make any friends or anything. And then picked up and moved to Albuquerque, where, you know, it was huge. You know, I wasn't in this tiny little school anymore. I was in this great big area. And there were so many more people and so many nationalities. And I can remember just like my first day at school and how scary it was to me because my my class that I walked into had as many students in the one classroom as what I knew in my whole school from where I came from. That's amazing. I, I can't yeah. imagine what it must be like to be uprooted again and again, you know, moving around well, with different bases. And... Well, right. And then when I was 16, that's when my dad retired. And so I got picked up from Albuquerque, New Mexico. My high school had 2,000 kids in it. And we moved to a tiny little town in northern Kansas called Clyde. And I think there was 2,000 people in the entirety of the whole town. Oh, my word. That's quite a change. <laughs> and I, Yeah, I was 16. And I, okay, so this was 1995. I'm 16 years old. I had half my head shaved. The top of it's bright pink. It's Nirvana days, you know. Yep. Uh, yeah, you remember the Converse shoes were plaid back in those yeah. days. We always tied around the face. And uh, yeah, so I was that kid and I walk into this tiny little town where everybody there is pretty much wearing lucky jeans. And um, Eastland shoes were a big deal back then. They were just these <laughs> ugly leather loafers that I hated. Oh, God, they were terrible. Um, anyways, that's what everybody in school was wearing. And uh, I, I was not that kid at all. And um I did not fit in very well. <laughs> it's interesting seeing that now, though, because you are one of the most individual people that I've kind of ever come across on the internet. And you're kind of quite fierce about being you as well and not apologizing to anybody for it. Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> I mean, why would I anymore? I mean, I literally have... I went through a lot in my life where I tried so hard to be like everybody else. I wanted so bad to fit in for a while. You know, when I was in high school, I was anti-fit in. You know, I wanted to be everything but what everybody <laughs> wanted. And then as I got out of high school and I went to college, um, I was an actress um, in college. I was scholarship to uh, to perform at the community college up here. And, uh you know, I, I was still very much me, and uh, I can remember being, <laughs> I was asked at the art uh, department, so I was also an artist, and um, I was scholarship for art as well, and in the art department, they hadn't had, like, a live human study <laughs> for, for the drawing courses, and you know what that means, right? I mean, that means no clothing involved, yep. and it's uh, 1999, and uh, I'm like, hey, I'll do it, and they're like, what? I was like, yeah. They're like, well, I mean, are you going to charge us? I was like, no, nah, let's just have pizza. It'll be fine. Oh, my word. So here we are having party, and uh, I'm sitting in a rocking chair, sans clothes, and uh, yeah, I have like six or seven kids around just drawing, and that was my first experience in that whole modeling thing and being somebody's muse. <clears throat> I should probably explain at this point for anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, you've got quite an unusual hobby, haven't you, that's kind of taken over your life for the last couple of years. Mm. 
So, yeah, it's actually grown into. How would you describe thing, yeah. that? How would you describe what you do? Um, as of now, what I call it, um, what I what I call my job or my 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 hobby. I'm a professional muse. I aspire to inspire. Um, <laughs> I found out in my life that um, I'm a fun subject for artists uh, in the way of not just in drawing me or painting me or or like telling me how I'm supposed to act up on stage. You know, that's another that's another avenue altogether. But in the photography realm, you know, I started doing pinup modeling about five years ago dressing up in 1950s gear uh, at car shows and um, doing the whole Audrey Hepburn or whatever type thing, you know. And at first when I started doing it, I wasn't very good at it. I was going for that magazine garage girl look, you know, with the tiny little shorts and the tied up shirt. And that's what I thought was going to get me. The headscarf tied above your head and all the rest of it. Yeah. And that's how I started off my pinup. And it just was like, and I had a different pinup name at that time. I was Vivian Jones. And I don't even know why, except for the whole catchy Mrs. Jones thing, which was kind of cute, but it really didn't (laughs) fit me. And my whole look didn't fit me. And you have to understand at this time, I was also going through an incredibly big life thing, which you've read about. You've actually, you've known me for a while. So you actually know this part too. Um, when that part of my life changed, which we'll get into that, but yep. when that part of my life changed, I started to evolve as a, as a model. And I found myself um, in my own self-portraits and stuff, pushing the envelope as to what I looked like. Um, I went from having long hair to chopping it all off. <laughs> um, that was two years ago. Yeah, and I remember. Because when I first found you again, because there was a big gap in the middle, which, again, we'll get back to. But when I first found you again, I didn't realize who you had been, if that makes sense, because you look so different now than you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so funny, too, because once we go backwards in time just a little bit and fill in these gaps, that'll be a really fun experiment. So anyway, um, so the cutting off of my hair and the evolving of my person and becoming who I who I am, which is literally just... Um, discovering myself underneath all of it. And I, I adopted my original name back, which is a funny story. I go by the name Jade out in public to everybody. Like, you know me as Jade. Everybody has known me as Jade since I was 16 years old. Um, but my, my birth name is Jessica June. And so it's funny because Jessica June is now my pinup name. That's what I go on stage with. That's and interesting because I thought that was your made-up name that you're using as a stage name. <laughs> it's actually backwards, which is super funny about all of it. Yeah, you've played I'm, everybody. Ironic <laughs> human being, you know. Here I have like everybody. I'm, I'm Jade to everybody, but really Jessica June. And my driver's license says Jessica June. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and that's why um, I was actually born um, born in July, and um, I was actually named after both my grandmothers. My one grandmother's name was Jessie Genevieve, and my other grandmother's name was Dorothea June. I have thanked God every day that my name was not Dorothea Genevieve, because that would have been awful. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really travel through time so well, does it? 
Just no, things. no. So thanks, yeah. thanks to the world that my mom and dad decided to go with Jessica June because it turned into a really catchy stage name and I can really see it doing like that. You know, my signature and stuff like that is super cool and it's cute. So, <laughs> yep. yeah. It ro- rolls off the tongue a bit like a Marilyn Monroe or something like that, doesn't it? It's alliteration, isn't it, they call it? You got it. Yep, you do. Yeah. And that's and, and again, it's also ironic because the middle name June, but I was born in July. I mean, yep. my parents had it going from the very beginning. <laughs> so if we take a step back to, yeah. I discovered you on Tumblr years ago, or either Tumblr or Instagram, must have been Tumblr, because Tumblr predates Instagram. Um, it was Tumblr way, way, way back in the day, and it was yeah. actually at a time where I was very anonymous. You were, um, yeah. I, I had been um, in a relationship um, with somebody uh, for quite a long time. And um, our relationship had gotten very toxic. And I had two children um, by this man. And um, we had, I mean, our children are beautiful, wonderful kids. And he and I created quite interesting people. <laughs> um, and I can't say anything wrong about him. I know what happened between the two of us was something that would have happened one way or the other just because of the experiences that we had been We'd been together for so long. We grew up together, you know. When you think about it, I was 18 years old when I got with him. And we, oh gosh, we spent 17 years together. The last seven years of us being together, um, he had uh, substance abuse issues. And that created quite a really horrible life for me and my children. I was going to ask, I, I guess this leads into it a little bit, doesn't it? Because you disappeared from Tumblr for quite some time. Now, was have you just given this, away how the slippery slope started? It gets it gets, it gets gets really twisted here for a little bit, so you're just going to have to like strap in for, for it, okay? Because okay? it it's, it's an interesting story. Um, I was working at a carpet store, and that's when you knew me too. Um, yeah. I managed a carpet store for quite a long time. Um, and... I, I had gotten a second job. Okay. My kids were, my son was 11. My daughter was 13. And, um, I got a second job working at a cafe at the town where my parents live. And, um, I was just going to go over there after I got off work from the carpet store. And this was to help bring up some money for the kids, um, school clothes and stuff because he had lost his job. And so we were just surviving on my income. Um, the cafe that I went to work at was owned by a couple friends of mine and, um, they were women, they were married and, um, my appearance in their life created quite, uh, the rift. We'll just put it that way. Um, I was, I turned into a damaging force to a lot of people in a very short time. Um, towards the end of my relationship with the father of my children, um, I started becoming quite an alcoholic and I was drinking close to four bottles of wine a night. Oh my word. Um, the wine that I drank was, uh, it was 12% alcohol by volume. So you can about imagine by the time I was done with my night, I was done, done. Like, yeah, yeah, it was, it was terrible. Um, and I would, I would go to work over at the cafe and I would be slightly drunk when I got there, but I'd be toting two bottles with me because, you know, I, I was used to drinking four bottles a night. And I ended up 
finding out that the one of the girls that or one of the women that owned the uh, cafe, um, she had her own substance abuse issues, and uh, her and I had some. Okay, well, let's just say I'm not a great person, and um, her and I had an affair, and um, (laughs) ended up uh, moving in together and uh, splitting up both of our relationships, and coincidentally, she lost her business and uh, got divorced. It really Uh, is like a slippery slope that gets steeper and steeper, isn't it? I'm not even I'm not even at the at the very top of the pinnacle on this one because it gets worse. Um, well, I just decided that if that was the way that she was going to live her life, and I wanted to really be a part of her life because I was absolutely and totally in love with her. Of course, I was in love with her. Um, and this was me finally owning my whole entire sexuality. You know what I mean? Like to finally get to be able to say, you know, it's not just one or the other; it's both. I, it's like I don't, I, I don't, I'm not going to make a choice. Yeah. And to be able to stand up to people and be able to say, I've known forever that I liked women and I've known forever that I liked men. And I don't think that it's fair that I have, you know, whatever. I, I mean, I'm, it was an evolution even then, but it's not even like at that point in time, I'm still very, very inebriated almost all the time. And, uh, I, smoked a lot of marijuana at this time, which I've, oh, I had always smoked marijuana. Okay. That was not the issue. And marijuana has never been the issue. That thing probably kept me alive for a very long time, but add in the fact that I like to be quite the, uh, the show girl and things. And she had connections before long. I decided to adopt the personality of the boss lady and start selling methamphetamines. <laughs> Wow. Um, not just using them, but selling them to the degree of like, I, I, it was, it was, it was terrible. But here's the interesting thing though, for people who've never been involved in that world. Um, I, I kind of cross paths with it a little bit because, um, two of my cousins were uh, kind of brushed with it for a while. They didn't get into too much trouble. They got, got out before, um, yeah, before they were caught, I guess. But, um, for people that haven't been involved in any part of that world, how do you, or how do you become part of that supply chain? Do they see you coming? Um, I don't know if they see you coming or if um, it just takes a certain personality type. Because there, it, being who I was in this situation, I can say that I have seen those that are just users. Yeah. And that's all they'll ever, they can't manage anything in their lives, anything more than they can manage how they're going to get their next high because that's just who they are. And you're probably looking for money as fast as you can and the easiest route possible. Some people are, yeah, but I was managing it. I was a functional <laughs> addict. I had been a trained functional addict for many years drinking and smoking weed and whatever else I had been doing. Plus I had lived with an addict for how many years and had seen how he managed life. And before long, I was not only managing a business, which was the carpet store, but I was managing a business at home as a drug dealer. And I did that for quite a while. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that was anybody else's choice, but my own, because I willingly walked right into it with the cash that I had had in my own hands. And, you know, 
it had grown from like I was using so much to I was using so much more. And then pretty soon I had my friends who were needing some more. And then it just grows and grows and grows. And you find yourself working your way up that supply chain until you're finally at a point where it's like, it's scary. I guess you get to the point where the, the law starts to take notice of you. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because not only do you have people at your house left and right, left and right, left and right, but suddenly there's just like, just random things are being strangely happening around town. You know what I mean? And it it becomes very obvious and it didn't help that we were lesbians that worked at a carpet store. You you may as well have put a flashing light on top of your house or something. (laughs) I mean, we live in small town, a tiny little town of maybe like 7,000 people. And I own a carpet store or manage a carpet store. And she's a, like a carpet installer. And we're lesbians. Yep. Do you know what a joke that is? <laughs> it's a joke. Top that off with now we're lesbian drug dealers. That's even funnier. And everybody knows who we are because there's not very many people that fit that description. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> you, can't, you really can't make stories up like this one, can you? Oh, no, 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 you can't, you can't. Um, it, it went on for a long enough time and we'll just say that things got really bad to the point of we made some horrible decisions. Um, she, she already had her own legal issues long before I came along that would end up spelling out what happened to her future um, or what's happening to her right now, which is really not my place to talk about a whole lot. No, but let's just say, no just stay away from it. <laughs> she took a stateside vacation. Okay. We'll just put it that way. And yeah, she'll, okay. she'll be coming back out in the real world later. But, um, I, I personally ended up getting arrested. I was on my, okay. I, I lost the carpet business. We'll go back to that. I lost the carpet business because things started to get really bad. Um, there was a fire in the basement apartment underneath the carpet store and the owner of the carpet store just pretty much had had enough of all the stress and everything else. He was in the seventies and he was just done. Yeah. And by all rights, he should have been. And he had a lot of reasons to not be trusting me at this time because, I mean, I was probably displaying some pretty obvious signs of like, I'm not okay. Yeah. Um, two and a half years of being uh, on methamphetamines will, will start to show. I don't care who you are. It starts to show. And you can say you're functional all you want, but you're not. And you don't realize it because you don't think anybody's going to notice that you're high. You can be standing in, in Walmart like I was with a dare t-shirt on and my hair and high pigtails. Half my hair's blue. I'm 38 years old and I think nobody in the world knows I'm blazing high. <laughs> no, it's ob- very, very obvious. I don't know what started it off, whether it was the pigtails or the dare t-shirt, but, but yeah. Yeah, I'm know. starting to wonder which and- came first, you or Harley Quinn? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Harley Quinn came long before me, and I, I, I don't think she was substance abuse issues. I think she was just plain mental issues. But I, my mental issues, I think, caused my substance abuse issues, if we want to get into the long story, or the short story of that. Um, I ended up, when I got arrested, I had been coming back from the, the last drug deal I would ever do of that nature. And um, I don't really want to tell the whole story on no, that, just for just for legality but, reasons, but let's yeah. just say it in not really a good way. And, um, I ended up having, I had a drug overdose yep. that nearly killed me. And when I say nearly killed me, it means I was like hanging outside my body watching what was going on. Oh my word. <laughs> it, was, 
it was not all right. I mean, technically, I would, I did, did not crash or anything like that. Like my heart didn't actually stop, but my blood pressure was 76 over 48 when I was brought into the emergency room. Oh my word. When those two numbers match, you die. That's yeah. just all there is to it. So I was in really bad shape. And what happens to a body when you overdose on methamphetamines, um, the way that I did, which Again, not an okay story. Um, there is ways that you can find out that story, but I'm not telling it. No, it's fine. Um, it's, it caused my body to basically dehydrate itself. So I was sweating out all of my fluids and turning into basically human beef jerky. It was, it was terrible all day. I had to put a bunch of fluids in me. So I had these big bags of IV fluids and it's, I mean, they were pushing fluids through me like crazy and it didn't, it took another 18 hours for me to even be able to go use the bathroom. Oh my word. It took that long just for the fluids to fill me up to the point where I had to go to the bathroom. And it was, um, yeah, it was, it was scary. I was a fall risk. Um, because none of my muscles were doing what they were supposed to do when I overdosed. It was, uh, it caused all my muscles to pretty much just start clenching up and spasming in every direction. My eyes would not focus. Um, I could not really speak. It took me probably two days to be able to write my own name. Wow. Yeah. The fact that I'm still an artist. <laughs> I know. That, so I'm just thinking that how do you get through that and come out the other side? Uh, I refuse to think. I'm not. I'm not anything other than who I am, and I I defy all those other odds. I mean, the things that have happened in my life, I guess, have proven to me that anything is possible, really. Now, I guess another one of those things that started off my whole alcoholic issues was um, the passing of my four-year-old nephew, which I wrote about on Tumblr way back then. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah. And it was a really hard thing for me, you know, because that kid was one of those, he was, and that's another thing, how I ever got so screwed up in drugs after all the things I know about everybody, I don't know, but this little boy, he was, his mom was a, um, was a drug addict and he was born a drug addicted baby. Um, a set of twins actually, my sister adopted him. His twin brother died within like four hours of him being alive. And Quentin lived for four years. <laughs> and, uh, the kid was amazing. You know, he had no filters. So, uh, profanity was like, the second nature to him okay <laughs> and uh it was just funny listening to him and you know i would go up to my sister's house and was, my sister and i we had a really pretty good relationship at that point in time and i go up there and we'd be drinking and everything and getting pretty drunk and this kid is just right there alongside we're singing drunk on a plane together and uh i would pretend headbang next to him as he's like playing his little guitar and stuff he had hydrocephalus um, oh. hydrocephalus is when you, you have a whole lot of extra uh, fluid in your brain, uh, yeah. fluid yep. in the brain and his head was very swollen and misshapen. Um, he also, uh, he was, he had a tube fed through his stomach yep. because part of his throat was paralyzed. Um, and he, I think they, I think it was CP. I'm not sure if it was CP. My, I'm not really good with all the things that was wrong with him because I didn't want to label 
him. I didn't want him to be his diagnoses. I wanted yeah. him to be Quentin, monster. He was, I mean, I would get down on all fours and just hop around the house with him. We called it froggy hopping. That's what, yep. how he would kind of get around the house, you know, and man, that kid was something else. But he defied all these odds of like what I thought, you know, you go through all that stuff. Wouldn't you just be miserable? No, that kid was not miserable, man. That kid had a smile on his face for anybody who walked through that door. He didn't know a stranger. I guess the thing is, he didn't know anything different, did he? He didn't, but he went through 29 surgeries in that four years of his life. Oh, my word. So his normal was very different to other people's normal. Exactly. So who am I to give up? over something that I did to myself. Yeah. I made those choices. You know, when I went, when I went up to his funeral, when he died, um, on my way up to his funeral, I, uh, totaled my car. Actually, my daughter was in the car with me and a deer came out in front of the vehicle and I'd slammed on my brakes like an idiot. The brakes locked up. I went down to a six foot ravine up into the air and flipped my car three times in a cornfield. It was the most terrifying thing I'd ever been through in my whole entire life. And me and my daughter walked away from that wreck without a, without a broken bone. Somebody was smiling on you. <laughs> Not just that, but man, I had $300 worth of groceries in the back of my vehicle. Eggs, a, a helium tank to do all the balloons for the next day for the yeah. balloon release. And bottles and bottles and bottles of alcohol. Because how else do you handle your, your sorrow but drowning oh, it, right? That's crazy. And not one egg was broken. <laughs> that is not a joke. I can seriously have my sister tell you this, but it is not a joke. Not one egg was broken in that thing. Oh my word. It was the same thing because if I showed you pictures of my car, it was a tin can. It literally was crunched. I had my glass, my window bust in at me and I didn't even have a scratch on me. Oh I had word. a bruise. It was insane. Yeah, yeah, my body hurt so bad for three days afterwards. <laughs> I thought I was going to die, but no. Because yeah, my other half it rolled was- a car years ago, and the only injury she had, she it was at night, and she rolled into a field, uh, you know, missed a corner, and you know the the car caught a ditch at the side of the road and rolled into the field. And because it was dark, she didn't know which way up she was, and you know, in the panic of trying to get your bearings, and she yeah. put she realized she was upside down, hanging from the seatbelt put her hands above her head to take her weight and put them onto the glass of the sunroof. And that yeah. was her only injury. <laughs> it's insane, isn't it? And it's crazy. And it, and thank God for seatbelts. And I will say that right off the bat because both me and my daughter had our seatbelts on. And I, I really do feel like he was there watching or taking care of us or just making sure that it was all right because we weren't very far away from my sister's house at this point in time and my sister lived three and a half hours away from me so for me to be even like 45 minutes away from her house when that happened it was it was crazy the whole event was crazy and i don't know i've had a few brushes with death enough to say that you know i really appreciate my life so much more now it's funny that we're doing this podcast today though (laughs) Because today is the uh, I'm 27 months sober today. Actually, oh well done, congratulations. Although yeah. it seems it seems and an odd thing to congratulate somebody for, though, in a strange way. It it is actually something that you should always congratulate somebody for. You know, I I had <laughs> I have a funny story. I always have these funny stories, but not too long ago, I switched jobs, and uh, I had an interview. The, the manager at the store that I work at. Um, 
he asked me to give him an example of when honesty can be good and bad. And I love this question right off the bat because I was like, oh boy, here we go. And I have no filters really either. I lost all of them. I just really pretty much speak exactly how I think. Yeah. Um, and that's sometimes really to a fault. It's a horrible thing sometimes, but it's, it's honesty. It comes through so in your a- writing though. It's, it's kind of, that's one of the reasons that you stand out from the crowd. Yeah. Well, and you can hear my voice in my, in my writings now. Like if you've, if you've read what I read, yeah. what I've written for so long, when you hear me talk, you're like, Oh, yep. There she is. I hear it all. <laughs> 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 Including the dot, 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 dot. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I forgot what I was talking about. Um, the you questions. Know, oh, the honesty thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I looked at him. I was, I was like, well, um, I'm actually so many months sober. I'm from methamphetamines. And he looks at me and he goes, Oh, but anyway, see, there we go. Now here's an example of a good way to respond and a bad way to respond to that kind of honesty. Yeah. One person can go, Oh my God, congratulations. That's amazing. Because anybody who has ever struggled with any sort of addiction at all, whether it be self-harm, whether it be alcohol, whether it be uh, cigarettes, whether it be shopping, chocolate ice cream, (laughs) or even a human being, people get addicted to other human beings. It's not love. It's not lust. It's addiction and it's sick and it's scary. But to even be away from whatever that is that you're addicted to, whatever it is, is making that serotonin and, and everything just level out in your head. It gives you that rush. Yep. Once that gets taken away, your whole world changes. Anybody who has felt that, who has gone through that, has struggled through it, or has even come above it, knows that that is something worth congratulating somebody for because they know how hard it is not to go back to that same life that they've always known. Every day of the one year that I was unemployed, I thought about how much easier it was to make money when I sold drugs. Every single day that I sat here alone by myself, wondering why I didn't have one friend stop by through all the friends that I had sold drugs to for the last three years. Not one person coming to scoop the snow off my walk. Not anybody coming to ask me if I'm okay, if I need groceries or why my car hasn't moved for the last three days or four days. Am I okay? Am I alive? It's interesting, isn't it? It's those sort of times when you find out who your real friends are. My phone didn't ring. Yeah. I didn't get text messages. I didn't have Facebook ding, ding, ding. I had me, myself, and I, because even at that point in time, my kids both lived with their dad. It's interesting, though, because although you're at that time in your life, you were so alone, you (laughs) kind of hit the ground running with the blog during that time. And that's when you really reappeared. I had to start somewhere, which was back what I knew. And that was the most anonymous point in my life. Yeah. When you guys were the first people who got, who got to know who I was on a, on a level that nobody really did. I mean, I'd spent 30 some years of my life being this man's woman, basically. And I did what he, what would make him happy. I was very codependent at that time, which was my my own issue. I wanted so bad to make that relationship work to not fail. 
that I put myself through a whole lot of things and I probably caused a lot of the toxic energy that happened in that relationship. I will mm. never blame him for all of it, even though like a lot of it I can say was his fault. I created so much of that though on my own. I've been so surprised at the various people I've spoken to so far about their blogs that it's such a common story about this whole thing that um uh that they know the people that they share their blog posts with better than they know people that live next door or that they've known for years in the real world. And, um, and they share far more with them than they would with their own family, for example. And it's not even so much that I know the people. I think it's the fact that I don't know so many of them that makes it so much easier for me to just be blatantly who I am. Yeah. Because you guys don't expect me to be anything other than that. No. Exactly what I write out there is exactly what I'm experiencing on a day to day. And the fact that I do write it so candidly and I do experience both the highs and the lows of being not just sober, but going through therapy and gaining my life back and finding out what a job is like and going through all the struggles of like almost losing my house to now I own three vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my life has changed so much in the last 27 months. And even since I just, I mean, when I first started writing the blog again, because I went from being searching for a peace of mind to my jaded peace of mind. And it, it was me grasping myself and actually saying, this is my, my peace of mind. This is where I'm at. And putting my all my errors out there, like saying flat out, I cheated on the guy I was with, with this girl. I moved her into my house. I became a drug dealer to make her happy. I wanted to fit into her fantasy so bad that I did everything I possibly could to be what she wanted. And it caused everything to go so wrong in my life. I was so desperate to find love and affection. It's an interesting I, one. Because you went through all of that, do you have much clearer vision of other people doing the same i have oh i have a hard time with that question because as much as i want to say yes i also have this soft spot in this undeniable hope for people thinking that they're going to change which has cost me a lot in the last two years also which we can talk about those relationships as well <laughs> because those are big things that have, those things have happened and they have caused a lot of problems, especially the one who, uh, who tried to kill me. Oh my word. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That wasn't so long ago. Oh my God. Um, and I wrote about that as well. Um, I've been having some legal issues with that whole situation. So it's been, it's been very scary and it really showed to me exactly how crooked the law can be. Yeah. Because that, that person's domestic battery charges got dropped. Crikey. Even so, though he had my throat against the wall trying to strangle me. It's fine. So just to, uh, no, it's fine. I'm um, just to, prove to everybody though that the world isn't quite as dark as maybe we are painting it you have discovered this talent you have um this I, I, it's very hard to describe isn't it how on earth did you get involved in the pinup modeling well um it was a few years ago i was kind of uh under the influence of alcohol, and I decided it sounded like a really good idea to do it because I love going to car shows. <laughs> Isn't that how most things happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
like doing it at the time. And really, I had no idea what I was doing. And my first, my first time doing it, it was 107 degrees outside. Cause this, this particular car show happens to be my favorite one that goes on every year, the very last weekend of July. Um, it's the Custom Kemps of America, the KKLA. And I've gone to it for five years. Uh, first year, like I said, super hot outside. I ended up getting very, very sick because of course I drank too much and I would be hung over and it was hot and I would end up very sick. And yeah, it was and you probably okay. need the Dutch courage as well to just step out and be that character. Yeah, I needed the courage for real. Um, at that point in time, for sure, because I had no idea what I was doing. I'm walking out there. You've never done modeling, had you? I've never done modeling. Well, other than in the art class. Yeah, that and, you know, like whatever I would do on Tumblr as far as like my self-portraits yeah. and stuff like that. Selfies. Um, as far as otherwise, my mom would use me as a model sometimes for her photography stuff, which she's a really good photographer. And we would go out on photo safaris. But those were personal things. You know, they weren't like me actually modeling or doing. Or those going down a line of cars, leaning on them and posing for photos for for strangers to take the pictures as well. And not make some goofy ass face that everybody's going to say, Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's plenty of those out there too. But now, um, you know, I'd done the acting thing. So I had been on stage before acting as a different character. Like I love doing the Carol Burnett skits because Carol Burnett's one of my favorite characters. So back when I was doing the theater thing, that was big for me. And so I could adopt that kind of character when I was doing my pinup stuff. But at that, at the beginning parts, yeah, the liquid, the liquid courage definitely came in handy. Um, then the following years that it got really kind of scary for me was when I was, um, when I was very high and, and, um, uh, yeah, that one year, uh, it was three years ago. Exactly. That, yeah, it was really not a good year for me to do this. Um, I was a train wreck and I looked like a train wreck. But I did have a really good photo shoot with a photographer who ends up being one of my favorite photographers to work with, which I have quite a few favorites. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's quite a few of them. And I keep on saying, oh, this one's my favorite. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this one's my favorite. Because they're all my friends. Yeah. And they're all people who are equally talented in so many different ways. And that's what I love about what I do. Because what I'm doing seems like I'm modeling because I want people to look at me and my pictures. But what I'm doing really is I'm just giving a canvas for these photographers to make their arts. Yeah. You're kind because, of a prop. Exactly. Because of my body type, I'm a very unique body type. I'm very, very thin and I'm thin naturally. I don't have to try to be this way. My, my natural normal weight is 110 pounds. Um, it's, just the way it is. Yeah. I can be very androgynous in my looks if I choose to be. Um, but, you know, I, I prefer to be very feminine. And that's probably because when I was a kid, I did look very much like a boy. <laughs> and I was made fun of for it. And so now as an adult, I want to be super feminine. And um, the whole pinup thing really helps with that. And doing this modeling thing, the photographers that I work with, they really see that in me and the results from it have been amazing so the appearance of services like instagram and then later on only fans have come at just the right time for you then really haven't they they really have the um instagram thing uh when i started writing back on tumblr again i also started doing a little bit on instagram and my instagram started to grow 
because my recovery story started to become a thing on my Instagram. And there is a huge recovery community on Instagram. And it's amazing when you start putting in things like one day at a time, the other people who are also walking that path of one at a time or just for today or 24 hours. Yeah. Those people see that they see where you're coming from. They know where you've been and they're watching you discover yourself because the longer you're sober, the longer you don't have those glasses over your eyes and shine, you know, keeping you away from the rest of the world and stopping you from feeling your emotions. Yeah. The more you start to see who you really are. How does that feel, though? Say you're scrolling through looking at other people's posts within that community and people that maybe have a similar backstory to you. Is it difficult for you to go back into that space in your head when you're reading their stories? No. What it is is it's more of that um, camadre. You know, you find somebody who has been through the same trenches you have and suddenly you have a story. You have a way that you can say, hey, I know you. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. Hey, yeah, that makes sense. We're on this together. We're doing this together. And that's one of the biggest things that most people have really overlooked in the idea of addiction and recovery. So many people have gotten the idea that Punishing people who are a drug dealers or have drug offenses or whatever, like America is really good at. Our jails are so overpopulated with drug offenses, nonviolent drug offenses. We put them off into little boxes and tell them that they don't belong out here with the rest of society. Yeah. And then when they do get let out with the rest of society, we tell them they're not good enough to be like the rest of us because they can't have jobs. that makes it so they can do the life like the rest of us do. You hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Because for the words that were told to me, I was denied job after job after job after job after I had been not just a, an, a business manager, but a business manager who had managed a business for 15 years. And because I had made the mistake that I had with my addiction, I was suddenly not good enough for gas station jobs. What do you think the people who have years of addiction and years of legal issues and years of non-employment have when they get out of prison? Yeah. Do they get welcomed to a community with open arms telling them I understand and you deserve a chance and let's do this together because we're, we're in this together? No. The trouble is most people are ignorant, aren't they? And ignorant, ignorance breeds a lack of trust, I guess. They think for some reason that people do this to themselves. And I will say to a degree, maybe, maybe, but nobody wants to be a junkie. Nobody wants to not be able to go a day without being sick because they didn't have their drug of choice. Do you not think there's an element of blindness to that as well, though, with when you're in the middle of it, you can't see it. No, and you can't, and it's, and it is that way. And it's funny how many people who are alcoholics will shun somebody who is a heroin addict. Yeah. Even though they have the same sickness. Yeah. And somebody who is a, a, a chronic gambler will shun somebody who is a sex addict. It's yeah. the same illness. It's the same thing. It's called obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. An obsession that overwhelms your mind and makes it so that you cannot live your life without doing whatever that is you're obsessed with. It is interesting because it seems to be some people 
um, can they, they just have like an addictive trait in their makeup where it doesn't matter if it's drugs or drink or it could be anything. It could be a hobby or an interest or whatever it is, they will become obsessive over it. And it's, yeah, they're excessive people, uh, addictive personality disorders. Yeah. Um, part of my sobriety has led me back into therapy, which at one point in time, years and years and years ago, when I first started having issues with the other relationships and whatnot, I had done therapy and had found myself at, a, at my wit's end because they kept on telling me that I was clinically depressed. I was not depressed. Okay. I was frustrated. I was upset. I could not understand why in the world I couldn't get my life to work out like everybody else's was. I was doing everything like everybody was. I couldn't make anything work. I was miserable and I couldn't function like normal people can pay their bills because they know they're due. I know my bills are due. I have the money to pay them. I tell myself the day they're due. I set myself an alarm on my phone. The alarm comes up on my phone, says your bill is due tomorrow morning. And I tell myself, okay, cool. I put a snooze on my alarm. So it goes back off later on to remind myself to do it again. This is what I have to do just to get through paying a bill. Yeah. Because I have, I have executive dysfunction disorder. Um, it goes along with my ADHD, which I was undiagnosed and unmedicated my entire life. Mostly because of the fact that A, I'm female and I don't distribute the same signs as most uh, as men do and yeah. boys at the point in time while I was growing up, boys would be the ones who were most likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. And the other part of that is, is that I have an incredibly high intelligence. I'm not saying that to brag. I don't really want to no, say it like that. You can either. tell just through your insights that even into your own past and stuff and the speed you're able to unload. I've noticed uh, some of these podcasts I've recorded. I've had, I've had to spend two hours going through them, re- removing ums and errs. You haven't said um once. <laughs> I stumbled a few times, but yeah, I and that's what I'm talking about is when my brain it just it constantly processes and yeah. it's it's hard to explain it to most people just because um, a lot of people get this idea that ADHD is a behavioral issue no. and that people are too quick to um, put their kids on drugs. Yeah. Because it's behavior. You just need to discipline your kids better so they act better or whatever. And those drugs are I awful because they almost turn you into a zombie. Um, depending on, depending on the medications and depending on the doctors, depending on if they're doing the right things yeah. for whatever part of the ADHD. Nowadays, they have a lot of testing and luckily they can do genetic testing, find out about your DNA codes and really find the right medications to go along with whatever it is that you have going on with you mentally. Yeah. If people would only understand that those diagnoses are real, ADHD has caused um, many people to have this idea that they can't function like other people because they do have ADHD. You know what? I don't want to function like other people do. Yes, I might have a hard time remembering to pay my bills. It sucks. It really does. My credit score sucks because of it. And I might be really, really bad at cleaning my house because it's not fun and I don't like to do it. But, but that's everybody. I, <laughs> I, I would think so. I would think so. Um, but the other part of it is, is that I'm incredibly energetic. I'm super spontaneous. I have a lot of fun in my life. Um, I'm not afraid, afraid to try new things. Um, 
I'm an artist. So of course I'm constantly creating things, which means I'm always trying new stuff in the art world. Like I'm one minute I'm wrapping rocks in metal. The next time I'm, I'm burning wood or I'm carving bones or, you know, it's whatever. And that whole overdose and almost losing all my skills and not being able to even write my own name, it pushed me even harder into the art of uh, hand-painted lettering and uh, fine lines, which is why I'm trying to learn how to do pinstriping now. I just got my first pinstriping set. <laughs> I'm excited about it. <laughs> I saw the toolbox uh, that you got in the auction. That was amazing. Yeah, and see, that's all goes along with the car shows and the whole love for everything that um, is the pinup world and the culture um, of you know, custom cars. It's it is a it's, it's it's definitely a culture altogether because people in those shows, those car clubs and and the the pinup shows and stuff like that, they're all just very unique individuals, you know. All of them are. They're super so, cool. You got the guys that do the rat rocks, you know, and they're just like. They got the big beards and the the <laughs> signed up car. They're super neat. Anyways, go ahead. Um, yeah, because you kind of move so quickly in your mind, and you're you know, it's almost like this this tumble of ideas and thoughts and opinions. Do you get frustrated that other people can't keep up with you? Yes, and I get frustrated with myself because I don't always finish stories. <laughs> and so I feel like I'm always having to backtrack or go beat around the bush and suddenly we end up back where I started. Oh, and you and go like, oh, sideways, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it frustrates other people too. Um, it, or I'll have a conversation, like somebody will stop me at, at Walmart. We'll just say Walmart because that's pretty much the only store I really will go into besides where I work. Um, <laughs> and somebody will stop to talk to me and they're really slow about what, they say you hear what i'm saying there yeah. and i can't handle it <laughs> and well, i'm almost wanting to finish their sentences for them or just be like and what <laughs> i say i don't have the time to stand there but i truly i i really have to make myself do that a lot i'm in sales so talking fast is kind of a thing but i also deal with a lot of elderly people in my sales I was going to say, and the I, further south you go in America as well, it seems to be the slower people talk naturally. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and everybody looks at me like, what? <laughs> I should have been an auctioneer <laughs> or something. I, I've, I'm always reminded of there was an interview with Tom Hanks of where he got the Forrest Gump voice from. And it was this young lad that played Forrest as a, as a child in the movie. And he had this very deliberate way of spelling out the sounds in a word. And uh, oh, saying yeah. everything very slowly and deliberately and making sure you you sounded every sound. And that's what it, made the Forrest Gump sound. Yeah. <laughs> Enunciation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you've got to enunciate each and every one of those syllables really hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, along the way, you've written your blog. And you've kind of told this amazing story of this journey you've been on. Has there been anyone along the way that's really inspired you that you've stumbled across? Oh, my gosh. You know, um, I would have to say a lot of it comes off of my Instagram because I don't have a lot of the same type of following on my Tumblr. Um, Tumblr at one point in time was a very close knit community that I really felt like I belonged to. It's disappeared, along, hasn't it? Along the way, we've lost a lot of people. Um, 
Yeah, I've seen that. In, in about 2010, it was probably at its height. And it there was were, really hard. There were thousands of people. A uh, future lottery winner, Mr. Yeah. Brad. Anybody who can remember that guy right there can remember Chocolate Starfishes and um, <laughs> him singing Happy Birthday. Yeah. Um, can you remember... Oh, the other horrible thing, though, about having such a big, diverse community is people died that were in the community. Yeah, and that's what I mean. If future lottery winner, he did yeah. pass away. Um, Lauren. Yes. Dirty McCoppants. Yeah, I remember her. Beautiful yeah. woman. Yeah, it was so difficult because, like, it was – you go online and you expect – it's almost like people aren't real and they're just bots that are out there. They're writing stuff and you're – because you never meet – or you very rarely get the chance to meet any of those people online in the real world. That's so it's almost like they're not write. there. That's what people who don't write these blogs think. But people who write these blogs, who are in these communities, who built these friendships, who had the ideas of of the, the meetups – Exactly. You know, I always wanted I always wanted to go to those so bad. Oh my god. I would see all these people oh, getting snark. together and still some people that are on yes, Mark. <laughs> yeah. And some of these people I still see on Tumblr, you know, some of the very originals. And it's so nice that I get to see them, but it's such a small group of them. Yeah. That that following is not the same as it used to be. Where I used to have on my old blog, I probably had well over two thousand followers, and I would never have a post that was less than at least seventy comments or hearts. Yeah. Now I'm lucky if one of my photo posts gets twenty, yeah. and those are photo posts that get over a hundred on the Facebook, you know, and well over a hundred on my on my Instagram. Just to so give like the note. Yeah, just to give people listening to this some idea of what Tumblr used to be like and how busy it used to be. Um, I built a prototype social network. Oh, this is probably, I don't know how long ago it was now, seven years ago, six years ago. Seven or eight, but yeah. Yeah, and I built it. It was during the time when Tumblr was crashing a lot because Tumblr was so busy, the developers couldn't make it stand up it kept falling over and crashing under the weight of all the people using it. So, and and they, all the information, yeah. the posts, the graphics. God, it was amazing. And I built this prototype, and it, it, it addressed some of the things that Tumblr didn't do because everybody complained that Tumblr didn't have this feature or didn't have that feature. So I built this thing, and I kind of stuck it together with sellotape and string behind the scenes, and it stood up on the internet. And I said, right, everybody go and have a play with it, and let's see how it works and maybe i don't know 100 150 people went in and had a play and the night that i opened it for everybody to play with tumblr went down for mm-hmm. several hours and the next morning 16000 people had walked through the door yep <laughs> boom and i had a letter from my internet service provider warning me that if that happened again they would charge me <laughs> <laughs> Because you didn't have enough bandwidth for all no, the stuff that you were running. I killed their service. That's, yeah, that's what Tumblr was starting to experience. They didn't have the servers to support all no. the information. But nobody Not had just a, that. Yeah, nobody had really made a social so network that grew like that. No, and the licensing behind a lot of the content that was getting put out on Tumblr at that point in time, there was a lot of legalities behind, you know, between the porn that would be blogged yeah. to the um, 
you know, different movie pieces, music that was being put up that shouldn't be put up, that had no, you know, creative commons that was being completely t- disregarded. There was a lot of things that was happening on Tumblr that was that was causing issues it, for artists like yeah. myself. I had deviant art. Um, I still have my deviant art up with well over 400 pieces and a lot of my artwork had been stolen. Uh, my signature has been removed off of it and other people trying to take credit for it. And I found them on Tumblr, which was funny because that was the reason why I started my Tumblr so I could watch over people that were stealing my art. Oh, there we go. There's your origin story. I was going to ask about that. <laughs> Yeah, well, and that's how I started my Twitter too. Which, by the way, I still don't get Twitter. Maybe it's because I talk so much. But man, I can't. I can't get a Twitter following worth anything. I think I have a hundred followers on Twitter. I'm not funny. I'm not. I'm not quirky or weird. There, I talk too much. I, I think I have. I've got an opinion of this that has just kind of come full circle this morning. Um, Twitter has been has been used by um, politicians, hasn't it, as a broadcasting mechanism. I guess most famously it, by Trump. It well, and it's not just for Trump, but it seems like it has just become a very big tool for political bargaining back and forth, whether yeah. it be the Trump thing, whether it be some other kind of scandal out there, be uh, with a you know some sports guy or whatever it is, and it becomes that kind of a platform, you know, for debating stuff back and forth. And then you've got the other side of Twitter, which is I don't. I don't really even know what to say. The fetish side of Twitter, which is almost scary. Um, words like fandom, I'd never heard before in my life. I yeah. found that on Twitter. I don't really want to know anything more than that. But I was like, what? <laughs> but something I, I discovered this morning. Sorry, go, go on. I was going to say something I discovered this morning um, has changed or has kind of consolidated what I thought about Twitter. They are privately testing with a small group of people. Um tweets that destroy themselves really so you'll be able to have a tweet that's out there for 24 hours and then it's gone yeah see that's too much like that snapchat world it is. i'm not a supporter of the snapchat world either i'm not i mean a lot of people in the only fan side of things and the other types of artwork that i do a lot of people suggested to me hey you should get a private snapchat or you know a pay for snapchat i don't even like snapchat as a general rule oh the user interface is horrible it's well also why do i want to take a picture of something every time i want to send a message i know i can send a chat like that but why yeah. don't i just use my messenger one of the 18 other messengers that we have on our phones because god we can't have one platform without a messenger on it can we <laughs> no. the interesting thing is they've all kind of converged on each other because instagram started out with just you take photographs and share them and they're always there and you can go and look through them Snapchat started out with you take photographs and they'd all destroy themselves. And then mm-hmm. Instagram added the stories, which is essentially Snapchat. So you put a photo on a story and it disappears. Then Snapchat added memories where you can take a photo, make it a memory and it keeps it. <laughs> so yep. they all copied each other slowly. And now Twitter has gone after the same thing as Snapchat, basically. Uh, indeed. And you, if you look into it even further than that, you look at the fact of who all owns all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and you top that off with, okay, well, hey, Google. Now, Google not only has Gmail, but it has Duo. It has a messenger system. It has all kinds of fun things, including clouds, correct? Well, Google owns what? Like everything now. Oh, I Facebook, don't know. 
They've they've well, pretty much they failed at social networking pretty spectacularly. Uh, well, yeah, but I'm just saying on a whole oh, overall look at all the Android phones that only run with Google services. Yeah, the shame, of course, with that's, Google that's Plus. Question. Yeah, the shame with Google yeah. Plus is that it was much much better than Facebook. Yeah, it's just a pretty big market all the way around, you know. Yeah. It's, um, anyway, but the whole the whole idea of that. Uh, social networking thing is that how important it really is that all of them do function together because of the story side of things where my Instagram is now linked with my, my Facebook, uh, my pin up page on my Facebook and the side, the side project, the muse project. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that one, you know, those are both, I have the two Instagrams and I have the two, uh, Facebooks. I try to keep them both very separate. Um, my pinup personality has to stay very family friendly because of the types of, um, events that I go to, car shows that I go to and the people that I want to be able to support my pinup endeavors. I want them to see my pinup self. Now, the funny thing about pinup, if we even go back into the fifties and you think about pinup girls in that point in time, you can also take yourself into the Varga girls and most of the Varga girls were very cheesecake yeah. lingerie posed in very seductive poses. Um, you know, the girls that you would see in calendars or on the walls and garages and things like that. It's an interesting one though, isn't it? Because in America, there's this history of, um, beauty and glamour being very censored or very careful. And yet, obviously, and I'm the other side of the world. In Europe, we've never had that. Everything's been much more explicit right from day one. And it's funny how that works because even in a, even in today's day, where we're sitting here going, okay, well, you've got you've got the ones who are very openly sexual, and we shun them for being that way because, oh my gosh, that's too much. Or we support them and we we celebrate them and we yeah. tell them how great. Or in the women's side of things, where a woman owns her sexuality and she says she's perfectly fine with who she is and she's brazenly out there well you know you're they're probably going to have other words for her than brave yeah well that happened to miley didn't it well yeah and see where i'm at in my life over here is that i wrecked my life i'm building it back up i have inspired other people in their artwork to make their art more than what it was before whatever and it's showing me who I am underneath all of it because I've never seen myself in the same light that I see myself now. Thanks to other people, I get to see myself through the way that they see me. Yeah. And every time I see myself in these different pictures, whether I be wearing the red wig or my hair is uh, flat to my head like Twiggy or it's puffed up in a big like bouffant type thing, you know, or the victory roll thing or even a poodle do. Every time I turn around, I see myself, I see myself as somebody different, but it's all me. And I'm just blown away by myself that I can do these things. And I'm proud of myself because all those things are everything that was me. There's so many facets of the human beings that I am that there's no way that I can describe myself in one word. <laughs> so this kind of leads straight into an obvious question because you've kind of hinted at it a little bit a few minutes ago. Do you have any kind of not secret but any quiet plans for what you want to do next oh my goodness um i have a lot of plans this year um last year i 
I spent a lot of time at shows competing um, in the pinup world, and I I had a lot of success in it. Like not success in the way of like, oh, I won, which I did win a few, yes. But the thing of it is, is that I I found myself more and more through the outfits that I would put together, and gained more of that personality of the Jessica June, the person who I am, and. In that this year, I really want to make sure that 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 personality is a permanent thing that when I'm seen, it is that's Jessica June. You know what I mean? So I'm yeah. um, being I want to be published this year in a couple of different publications. I have a couple ideas as far as what my, which magazines I'm going to submit to, but actual print magazines, not just ones online, which you will still be able to find them online. But um, <clears throat> that's a big thing for me. But um I want to push the envelope a little bit more on that androgyny side of me. Um, it was mentioned at one point in time, this is an idea. It's not even out there like totally because I haven't figured it out exactly how I'm going to do it. But it was mentioned to me on one of my photo sets that I had done of myself um, that I was looking very Bowie-esque. You do, actually. Which yeah, blew me. true. Because anybody to tell me that I look like David Bowie at any point in time in my life. I mean, what are you kidding me? No way. That guy's amazing. And he's beautiful. And he's like an alien and I love him. And I don't know. Um, so it was exciting to have somebody tell me that. And so I just, I wanted to do kind of my own twist on the David Bowie look. Um, finding a contact lens that is going to help with that. See, David Bowie's eyes were two different colors because of an accident. Yeah, he had an exploded uh, pupil, didn't he, in one of his eyes? Um, yeah, he'd gotten in a fight with a friend, and yeah. the friend punched him hard enough that it one of his uh, his pupils, so it was it was permanently dilated. It's a certain kind of yeah. I can't remember what the injury was called, but it was permanently that way. Yeah. Now I can't permanently dilate my eyeball, and I don't really think that there's <laughs> any that look like that. <laughs> So what we're hoping for is that I can find a uh, a brown contact lens that I can maybe hopefully have one that's smaller than my actual blue part of my eyes because my eyes are I mean I have fairly large irises themselves I mean, yeah. eyeballs themselves are huge for my face maybe I don't know I I do have big eyes <laughs> but I want to make it really kind of pull that David Bowie look together and do a photo set where I'm going from that masculine David Bowie look to more of a feminine myself yeah. you know I had at one point in time wanted to do that James Dean to Marilyn Monroe kind of thing but let's just face it I'm no Marilyn Monroe by any means no matter how hard I try I could never be a Marilyn Monroe I'm missing a whole lot of curves and cushion it's not ever going to happen so <laughs> we're going to go with the David Bowie because <laughs> I think I can fit that one <laughs> it's an interesting one though with you because you've kind of started to push the envelope a little bit with like we talked about the censorship and people's expectations and their, their limits then of pushing up against them a little bit um, do your real life family and friends know about the, the content you share? Yes, actually. Um, it's funny that you ask that because at one point in time, okay, when I was unemployed for that whole year, my first year of sobriety, I almost lost my house. And, you know, that was kind of a big deal online where you could make some money, you know, with pictures and whatnot. Oh. And I was like, hmm, maybe. Well, I had a few people that would actually, you know, kind of financially help me out for certain pieces of like photographs and things like that. So I would do this for them. And, you know, it started to kind of infringe on what I found to be okay with me. Yeah. 
Um, and I found myself doing that thing where I was, I was, uh, negotiating pieces of myself for, for money that it wasn't okay. No. And so I had to reel myself back in. This was that part of that sobriety, that, that learning to be sober. Learning to be sober is not just about not doing drugs. It's about learning those behaviors that you do that are addictive type behaviors. Like what I was doing was sacrificing pieces of myself for money and it, it wasn't worth the time. You know, I wasn't making me feel any better and I wasn't doing anything right. I mean, I could have found any other way to do that. Yeah. And I refused to do that. Well, with the, I, I, I got a job, so I was able to do like normal life things and everything. I was able to start like looking at that same avenue of taking pictures to make money, but doing it in a way that was more what I was comfortable with. Um, Dita Von Tees, the art of the tease thing, you know, that's always yeah. been something that was very inspirational to me because that woman to, to me just exudes seductiveness. And yeah. yet she doesn't have to take off her clothes to do it. No. And she, she's graceful and she's gorgeous. And if she does take off her clothes, well, then you're a very blessed person to see her like that because she is a goddess. And it's because of the, the ladylike composure that she carries. And that to me, when we look into, okay, like my tattoos on my hands, I got boss lady on my hands. Most people want to put that into that whole, like my drug dealing personality boss lady. And the reality of it is this, I will always be the boss of my own life, but I will always be a lady. Yeah. And that's where the boss lady thing comes from now where I'm at. Cause I didn't get those on my knuckles until I was uh, six months sober. That was kind of a reward then. And that <laughs> And that's what that was for. So it's you and earning it, yourself, really, isn't it? And taking charge of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. To say that, you know, in this life, okay, you can wake up and tell me that you're having a miserable, horrible day. And I'm going to give you all the reasons in the world why it's a better day than what you're ever going to tell me it is. Because no matter how bad your day is, I guarantee you it is not the worst. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you can find at least one good thing out of it that you can tell yourself it, it, can, it can always be worse. Because it always could be. I don't know. You're still talking to me. So obviously it's better than what it was, right? That's where I'm at in life. You know, you, it, the worst it could be is you're six foot under. You don't get any more choices after that. You don't no. get to choose to have a good day when that happens. You don't get to choose to make somebody else's day better or choose to hold the door open for somebody or any of those good things that happen in life. People so many times overlook all those simple things. This has been amazing. Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to think of how on earth we're going to edit this down, but I don't think I want to because you're such kind of a force of nature when you start to unload on a subject. It's it's amazing. <laughs> I don't know how many people are going to stick through all of it. Oh, they will. I think they will. I think you'll be surprised. <laughs> In um, the case that they do, I really appreciate it. I don't think I'm all that interesting, but it's been a blast. I really enjoyed this. But it, I think... I think you'll be surprised at how many people will follow this through and go and find your blogs. And just to give people the heads up, if you thought that Jade was interesting just in the last hour, you need to go and see her blog and look at her Instagram and go and look at some of the things we've been talking about. And I'll put all the links in the show notes because it's you're one of the most one of the most unique people. I think I think I said that at the start that I've ever met online. 
<laughs> well, I, I appreciate that analysis of myself. I mean, I, I am different. Eccentric, I think, is the word. I got eccentric before I got old, so we're good. It comes <laughs> to that common thing that is like a cl- cliche, I guess, that um, the differences are the interesting things. Oh, definitely. And that's what you got to look for in life anyways. Never, ever, ever stick on the path that's the same old, same old. Always look for something different. That's where you're going to find the fun. You have been listening to Jonathan Beckett's podcast. If you liked what you've been listening to, the podcast lives at anchor.fm slash John Beckett. You can also find it at Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Facebook. Just search for Jonathan Beckett's podcast. If you would like to be on the podcast, contact information is at johnbeckett.com slash contact. 